There he is. Hold on. Hey. Hello. There you go. Hello. What's up, Seth? Hey, how's it going? That's uh, uh, unfortunately about what we expected, right? Uh, yeah. I, although I will say it was a, got a little nervous in that first half. You know, it didn't look like it was going to be the expected strong response that we thought. Uh, and then the third quarter happened, and the Warriors' third quarter team showed up. Yeah, well... As people are filing here, I guess we'll just we'll just roll right into it. Uh, for folks joining, this is Colin Schatz from South Park. Now, joined today by now one of my editors at the Athletic, uh, Mike Spada. Um, yeah. By the way, on. we have a call tomorrow. <laughs> yes, we uh, to to talk about uh, the um, uh, the uh, an off season project that uh, tends to draw a lot of interest, uh, the player tiers. Um, but that's that's for, that's for later. Um, Game two of the finals, um, like, there's a lot of individual things, and I think that, uh, you know, people are going to, yeah. Oh, yeah, you you got me? Hello? I can hear, I can still hear you. You're kind of, like, cutting in now. Hold on, let me me close a bunch of things. Sorry. There's a problem there. That might be me. All right. Go ahead. Now you're good. Like, no, I was, I was gonna. No, I, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. There's uh, um, you know, there's gonna be a lot of talk about adjustments of Gary Payton changes series or the Warriors did this or that. Um, but I, th- I mean, I think you have to start with the simplest thing, which and we had Costa Medvedovsky on on the, after game one. Um, on some level, this is sort of what happens. Home team, especially with relatively evenly matched teams, home team loses game one. Home team wins game two comfortably. This is it's demonstrable. The effect is 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 empirical and pretty large. Uh, he he estimated that it's about a two to two and a half points per hundred effect, which is you know that's that's eight wins a season kind of kind of magnitude. So on some level, like that, we have to start there. But there's also some things that are more specific we should talk about. So what were some that struck you? Yeah, you call it the boomerang effect, right? Where yeah. you know you have this rubber sort of, band or boomerang, yeah. Rubber band, that's the one you yeah. No, yeah. I think there's definitely there's definitely some of that, but what was interesting is you sort of expected that to kind of show up in three-point shooting uh with the way Boston shot the three in the game one and you know maybe that would turn around, but they go 10 and 19 in the first half and it's really turnovers and two-point shooting that just totally screw them up in this game. And to me, that does speak a little bit more to something that Golden State really adjusted to. I thought their switching was much more aggressive. And so when Boston was able to drive and get into the lane, they had guys really digging up into them. And you saw, you noticed it a lot with Draymond Green in that second quarter with the way he was switching out uh, on Tatum and Brown. I just think that that, really threw off Boston's driving kick game. So, you know, I definitely think that there's no question there was going to be some sort of boomerang or rubber band effect, but it, it was interesting to see that it wasn't necessarily that Boston just shot a lot poorly from three, which is what we maybe would have expected. It was some other stuff going on. Well, I, I think them making three... It really, to me, like... I agree, by the to, way. To, I agree, to, to yes. me, like you could see it first play of the game, Boston wins a tip, comes down, they try to run kind of their their normal like swing swing action, and Draymond Green just jumps all over Al Horford and gets the tie up. And it's just like, oh, Golden State's gonna just be a ton more physical on the perimeter tonight. Um Yeah. And definitely. You know, and um No, this is this is this is not like the the chances of Boston leading one nothing on the road, getting a light whistle in Golden State are pretty low. I think that's a. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't think. I, I'm not. I do not think this was a poorly officiated game. I think the, there was some poor management of the game at times by the official. I don't think it was a. I'm just. You know, it's sort of like the weather. It's gonna be cold today, and Boston is not gonna get a light whistle. So. And Golden State, you know, that, that, that's part of the boomerang effect, frankly, is this home team comes out and is super aggressive, super physical, and and it, that threw Boston off. And I think that's the kind of defense that we've seen at times, you know, throw Boston off all playoffs. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree that there was some uh, tight whistles early on and that, yes, that was a part of the boomerang effect. You know, you spoke, I think, to the the one thing that I, I totally agree as well, that the shooting was obscuring how bad Boston was playing in that first half. In particular, I thought Jason Tatum's hot shooting was obscuring how bad Boston played in that first half. You know, it was almost like... Frankly, how bad he was playing in the first half. Yeah, it was almost like it was a total inverse of game one where... In game one, he shot terribly, but I thought he made a lot better decisions. And in this game, he played, shot a lot better, but he made worse decisions. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely some of that going on. But you, you did speak to what I think what was the big adjustment is that if you remember in game one, Draymond was guarding Al Horford, and he was kind of playing center field. That was the strategy that they had with Draymond. It's what they did with Draymond in the Dallas series in the Memphis series, all throughout the playoffs. They did it again in this in game one. And Al Horford obviously had a huge game. To me, the most inter- important stat and most striking stat of this game, zero three-point attempts for Al Horford. Unless he got some in garbage time that I forgot about. He didn't get any off. And to me, that speaks a lot to the strategy change, where now instead of having Draymond kind of playing the center field role and helping on penetration – He's switching up on all of these screens. He's jumping out, and not just switching, but switching with high contact. You know, he's coming out and kind of jumping into their space. And, yeah, I think you're right. It really threw off uh, Boston's ability, just comfort level. And you, you have seen that in this postseason where if you get into them, they will make mistakes. And it's it's a very fine line because they are big and strong, and if they are playing better, they can now use that strength to get by you. But, yeah, in this game – it, they were really flustered, I thought. And to me, that was like a big adjustment in sort of how Draymond was deployed on defense that manifested in a much more aggressive style of defense that really threw the game entirely in Golden State's favor. It's uh, there's a little bit like, you know, if you don't know a lot about hockey and you're watching the game, you can kind of get a sense for which team is doing better by which end of the, mm-hmm. which end of the rink the puck is in. Um, there's a little, I think something similar with, with NBA basketball is you look and see which team is running their offense out by half court and which team is, is not. And that, that, and I think that was, especially as the game wore on, like Boston was, was out up by the hash a lot and Mm -hmm. Golden State, aside from, you know, the couple of times where, you know, Steph or Jordan Poole hit really deep threes, they were, you know, running their offense at the arc, getting penetration, and, you know, basically using the whole, forcing Boston to to rotate and defend and not having to rotate and defend themselves. Yeah, no, definitely true. And I I agree that, and certainly in Boston's case, you know, this is another, I thought this in the Memphis series, and I think this is true in this series as well. You know, it is like kind of a turf war series where, you're right that generally the closer you are to the basket, the better things are for you. Uh, Boston, I think, is an extreme version of that. You know, if they're playing really far away, then all of their advantages go away because they're the bigger team. And if you're Golden State, you actually, I think, kind of want to force Boston out because if Boston's able to stay in and use their size, the only times that Robert Williams did anything in this game was when Golden State drove into him. You know, once Golden State was able to draw him out, that was curtains for for the Celtics. And that that brings me to, I think, the other big adjustment that was made in this game that I think made a major downstream impact, and that is getting Gary Payton II back into the rotation. I thought he played a massive role in allowing Golden State to play their style, play more pick and roll, like kind of use him as a screener, but still also maintain the ability to pressure out on Boston shooters and to have him playing instead of Andre Iguodala, instead of, you know, some of the other guys that played, I thought that made a major difference that goes beyond what his individual numbers suggested. Are are you, so it sounds like you're almost saying that's it, that you thought that was a bigger, a bigger deal, almost often than it was defensively. Like, I think given what he is as a player, there's going to be folks, Oh, he came back and, and Tatum had all these turnovers and that like, yeah, credit, you do have to credit him to, to some extent, but I mean, you've seen throughout the playoffs that that it like Tatum and Brown don't need help to cough up the ball. So again, it's just like, <laughs> so you don't want to go overboard. You know, maybe it turns out like that's the way the series turns out. Like over the next 
games, like those two guys mm-hmm. are, able to, are not able to get anything, and because of in large part because of Gary Payton. In that case, sure. But I, but but am I wrong in saying that you think that just having that you know that greater movement and you know frankly a greater perimeter threat, um, you know with him 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 making his first corner three than than Iguodala was providing. Help right. that offensively, is or am I putting words in your mouth? Well, it's interesting. I think um, we talked about this the last time we had a podcast where you're almost like kind of the league is now moving into like sort of a post half court game or a post separating those things out, offense and defense. And I think the value that Peyton provides is you get those defensive advantages where he can push out. Relative to Iguodala, but also relative to kind of having to play Looney and, and Draymond all the time together. So now you can play Peyton and Draymond. And you now get those, like, advantages on defense. But because Peyton is also a better short role playmaker at this stage, and because he's smaller and thus he's probably guarding him differently than you would guard Iguodala, even though they are similar types of shooters, plus you get some better ball handling at this stage of his career, you're able to kind of get the defensive advantages without giving as much up offensively. And then you also kind of throw in that Peyton's running the floor better. I think that that first foul call that was maybe a little questionable that Jalen Brown had on him, you know, I remember circling that play because Peyton made a great closeout on Derek White, got back into play, and then once the ball was missed he's tearing down the middle and creating a transition opportunity. That's the type of thing that Andre can't do anymore at this stage of his career. So, well, if well, it's plus offense if, or if, defense. Oh, I was going to say, plus if, if, if Brown was that close, he would have just thrown the ball out back out to the perimeter instead of attempting a layup anyway. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was that playing game one where they ran, where they ran like double, the double dragged their Spain pick and roll and slipped it and Andre had a layup. And then instead yep. of actually dunking it, he made that ridiculous pass out. At that a was, point. Th- yeah, that was, the, <laughs> yeah. so that was one of, that was one of their, their two ATOs in the fourth quarter. And we talked about this on, uh, after game one is, is the, the pretty huge sequences in the game where they ran the same like Spain type of action and we're looking for a throwback both times and Boston picked yeah. it up, picked it off and got a layup and a trail three off of it. And yeah. And the, the, you know, the other one was just clearly a design throwback and that the one by Iggy was, Ooh, someone's near me. I better not shoot a layup, which, but that's, yeah. neither, that, but that's neither here nor there. Um, right. Yeah. But no, I, but, I thought that made a big difference. Like you said, yeah. I just, and, and I don't know if it's offense or defense, like how would you classify it? To me, it's more like kind of, that's the right chess piece for both yeah. to kind of give you the advantage, the advantage on one end without giving you, giving up too much on the other. And yeah, you know, this as well as anyone in the playoffs, like it really, that's what it comes down to is what, what chess piece gives you the most advantages with the fewest trade-offs. Yeah. So, I don't know. Do you want to? Is, is there anything else from this game? I'm sure there's a ton, but I kind of. It's funny. This this is another one of those blowouts where there's a lot of, of focus being on, you know, how Boston defended Steph in the pick and roll and blah blah blah. This is a game Boston lost on the offensive end. Like, yeah, I just, agree. Um, I agree. So so where where what changes do you think they can make? I mean, number one is obviously, okay, play better, but like, <laughs> I, I mean, you know. Don't Jalen Brown don't shoot like spinning fadeaway jumpers and you know, but still like many times this play, this playoffs you can see when Boston's going to have bad offensive stretches because they have bad offensive process and tonight a lot of it was credit to Golden State but also they went long stretches with doing very little in the way of of process based offense. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and like, this is such a, you see all this so much. This, in some ways, this is very much reminiscent of the, the Miami series. It's a lot of the same issues where you have a team that starts to press up on you, where you have a great downhill driver, and they're just going to push you further and further out. And the way that Boston eventually broke that was they started to accept that pressure. They started to kind of try to get the ball kind of, free throw line extended to the restricted area, like that zone 
once you are able to get there on your terms rather than sort of being forced there by the pressure that comes out, that's when things started to turn around for them in the Miami series. And I think that the adjustment has got to be fairly similar. You know, I would look for more uh, one, three pick and rolls where Tatum's posting at the free throw line afterwards. He had a good spin and foul on, on Curry in this game. Uh, more sort of using your back line to pin the back line defenders in. You know, you don't necessarily do it with Robert Williams, but more guys on the baseline. You have to be careful if you're going to do that to not commit turnovers because then now you're um, now you're sort of, sort of having problems in transition. But also, you know, if they start to press up on you, accept the pressure, like know that that's what they're doing and like kind of go to your counter moves and try to draw the, the wing guy out and then drive into that area in the middle of the floor. You know, I just think, Sometimes what happens to Boston is when you when teams push up on them, like they feel like they've got to kind of beat that first line and then just charge hard to the basket, and they lose sight of what they want to do. And in game, I think it's a very simple adjustment to similar adjustment to what you had against Miami. And I think if they make that adjustment, their offense will look a lot better. I I was surprised you mentioned like I I noted that too the the with a you know they they slip Tatum into the the mid post on a, on a pick and roll. I thought that those were, I, I, I think I disagreed with you that I, I didn't think Tatum was, was very good over in game one. And, you know, you, we can disagree about that, but I, but I thought that the oh, no. offensively, the, I don't think the, it was good where it, it looked. Yeah. Okay. I don't think he was good. I just think he was like, sort of realized he wasn't playing well and he started, he gave himself up well. That, that you know what I mean? Fair, fair enough, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the, some of the stuff they did that at least looked most promising was there was a stretch kind of late second quarter where they went to that three or four times in a row. And I was kind of expecting to see them do that more and ha- and him like attacking quickly out of it. Um and he and, and they did it once and they got a they got as you say, he spun, got fouled, and I don't think they went back to it. And I was expecting a, a steady diet of that all game long. Yeah, no, I, I think this is one of the problems that Tatum can have is that he can sort of, he can do so many things so well that you sort of wish that sometimes he would just do the one thing he's really good at. You know, he has so many skills and, you know, you just want him to sort of be more direct and he does survey a lot and he does sort of try to make harder plays when he needs to make simpler plays. The other thing though, and I think the Warriors get a lot of credit for this is it's it's not the reason that they couldn't set up that one three pick and roll that easily is that the when they would run these screens to switch the warriors wouldn't just switch low underneath the play which is what they were doing a lot in game 1 they would come out and they would jump to the right side or even the left side whatever side was going towards the baseline they would come hard out there with a high jump on the switch I think they call this in the, the the league like a contact switch, where you just don't want to give all this the any room underneath for for someone to shoot the ball uh, off the switch or anything like that. They come out really hard, and that throws the timing of the whole playoff if you do it right. And Draymond Green was great at this, but he wasn't the only one. So every time they're setting the screen to switch, they can't make a clean pass to where they want to go because they have to sort of take a step back to loop out further or like sort of just flinch a little bit because the switch that the Warriors big is, is making is coming hard at them. And so that was a really good adjustment by the Warriors. And so when you do that and you do that, well, suddenly those like easy passes to the heart, the danger spot, which is like kind of that free throw line extended. They're not easy to make. You, you can't make them as easily and you're getting pushed out. And I thought that was a really good adjustment by the Warriors, which is why I think Boston's got to got to go back to the drawing board a little bit of the film be like, oh, when they jump out like that, like it's not something really to worry about. Like they're not doing it to try to get a steal most of the time. You know, we can be prepared for that. We can make a more controlled dribble back and we can change the timing of when we try to get the ball to Tatum in those spots. Um, that's the adjustment I think they're going to have. But, you know, that to me, I think is the biggest reason why, if you're wondering, like, why didn't Boston go back to that? I think that's a huge reason why is because it is a timing maneuver. And when you throw off the timing, suddenly you can't get to the spots you want to get to. It sort of is a, 
a chain reaction going on down the line. Sure. Um, what do we make of, and I don't know where it ended up because I kind of stopped once the game was sort of over. I don't, I, I, like, I don't know exactly when we can, you know, say garbage time started. But at one point, I think late in the third quarter was when I looked at this, Boston was 7 of 29 in the paint. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you had, I think, that, what was it, 9 to 33 from 2? Like, yeah. Had, like a stat that was tweeted out. Yeah, no, and they, I mean, and, and you know, a lot of their, like, their 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 non-paint twos were pretty terrible looks. They, you know, those, say, okay, Golden State just played great defense. and But, and certainly, you know, Golden State protected the rim very well. At the same time, like, what's that about? Is that, you know, Boston shying away from contact? Is that them being forced into a lot of late clock desperation? Like, that, that is a... It's it's like the three point shooting is the swing. Um, this game, it seemed like the paint shooting was the swing because at that at that same time, Golden State was something like eighteen of thirty three or something like that. It was like the engine in the game was basically Golden State making a ton more shots than the the Golden State scoring. the The scoring crew at Golden State is, is screwing enough on. on at the rim or not, that it's hard to say whether that meant Golden right. State was getting all the way. To, um, and I think yeah, they were. I yeah. think Golden State did get uh, you know a couple more dump offs at the rim, but I still focusing yeah. on like like it's a team that's not like rim protecting monsters. It seems like that's something Boston should be able to, to better. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's. A, I think you're right. I mean, also, by the way, those those numbers were with Golden State, like, smoking all those layups early, so it could have been a lot worse. You know, it wasn't like Golden State, <laughs> like, the Wiggins had missed a couple at the rim, Clay missed one right at the basket. So, yeah, I think um, we talk about this with turnovers, too, and I think it's it's very much sort of the same type of thing with a lot of these misses. Sometimes when you miss tough shots because you've had to work so hard with the body digging into you the whole way down from when you've gotten there that you're off balance and you just kind of all your space that you're jumping up to shoot is 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 cramped and i think that's the other effect of kind of jumping out high uh on those switches is that when guys like brown and tatum are going downhill and they're trying to get by like the warriors are just like right in their sort of landing and leaping space so those are tougher shots, and it's not really rim protection. That it's, it's not like they're starting to finish over somebody, but it's almost like someone is coming underneath them, and that's throwing them off. And I think that's the same reason they commit a lot of turnovers too. You know, is when they drive and they sort of the Warriors are able to ride them from behind and sort of kind of come in there in space. Those those missed shots of the rims are effectively kind of turnovers forced by the primary defender with the way the Warriors were playing. And I think a lot of that comes down to, again, for the Boston in game three, just you got to know that that's something that's going to be there. That's what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to cramp that space. So change your body angles a little bit more, be more under control. And so that, those shots will start to fall. So I think it's actually a lot like kind of the same thing with the turnovers. Um, and also because you drive, you miss those shots. Now you're stuck underneath the rim and you're triggering the transition game. So in some ways they're kind of essentially turn over some of those misses. And it's just, the line is so thin, you know, between, and I said this at the start of the series, and I think it's true really here. And it's, I think it'd be increasingly true across the league. The line between like sort of good driving or good offense, um, where you're kind of punishing using your size and mismatches and making the right passes to the right shooters at the right time versus the just being a little bit off. That line is so thin and has massive ramifications on whether how all the shots go in and then what happens the other end because Golden State is just so good at punishing you on the break. So I just think that the line is such a thin thing with this the two point shooting. Sure. I, you know, you say that, and it's funny. Again, this is this is another thing we talked about the uh, since oh the game a little bit. Golden State didn't really get much first half. 
They had, I think, uh, no, oh, not in the first yeah. half. No, not they at had, all. They had, they had nine steals, and I don't, I, I, I don't really think they got a ton, a ton of of transition off off of that. Sort of like, uh, you know, Boston's offensive process was bad, but they made some threes, and they didn't. Their mistakes didn't get punished as much, and so that maybe made, you know, this is maybe hindsight being twenty twenty with uh, seeing how the rest of the game went, but those things maybe normalized in the second half. It it, it became a fairly comfortable, a, a completely comfortable Golden State win. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that happened. I mean, it is it is interesting. I mean, I was. I definitely put this in my notes. I was like, man, Golden State, when they get these turnovers or misses, like it's a slog to get up the floor for them in the first half. And then in the second half, it just wasn't anymore. I wonder if part of that is, you know, like you think sort of counterintuitively about this, but I've always believed that, you know, the Warriors, when they get, if you're going to defend the Warriors in transition, you don't want that. What you don't want them to do is to pull up and shoot those pull up threes. And to kind of get that space where they're coming off a screen and they're shooting those staff shooting a pull-up three. Clay had a big shot, one of the few he made, where he was curling off a screen and, like, the secondary transition, he hit a three and they forced the timeout. I thought that was a really big play. You can almost live with, like, Golden State trying to drive at you if you're back. What you can't live with is if they can get those threes. It's, like, kind of a weird counterintuitive thing with them, and... In the first half, like they were, the the Warriors were not generating the threes on the break, but they were sort of driving. In the second half, they got those threes. I mean, they, they did miss a ton of layups in the first half. That's true. They did miss yeah. a couple. Yeah. So, series tied one to one. I would say there's a couple worrying factors for both teams, and I kind of wanted to go through some of those. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Williams doesn't look right at all. I'm, you know, it's he's been you know on the injury report basically every back. Um, the and the Daniel Tice minutes have been so bad for Boston. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. How concerned are we there? I'm pretty concerned. Also, the other reason I'm concerned beyond that is in Game One the Celtics made it work because their smaller lineups were just so dynamite uh, where, where lineups where they had either one, one of Al Horford or Robert Williams on the floor, not both, I think were really what caused them to win the game in this game. Like, I don't remember exactly how many minutes that lineup played. Cause I think there was some foul trouble weirdness um, going on, but this is another reason why I thought Peyton was really important. You know, if you can play Peyton, you now have the ability to downsize more to match up with Boston's lack of size or whatever, but now you can still play your same style on the other end. So I thought that was that's a real concern in particular if you can't play Williams, and now you're forced to rely more on Derek White and you know more on that sort of bit key five lineup of White, Smart, uh, Horford, Tatum, and Brown. If Gary Payton can play more and can match up with that better, now you don't have another option. So, in a as a cascading effect, that that Williams thing is a real big deal. Yeah, I, I after that game because this is something that uh, Zach Lowe and Doris Burke talked about uh, with, on their sort of uh, analysis of Game One was those lineups, and I went and looked it up. And you know, uh, entering Game Two in the playoffs, those lineups were with like one of Boston's bigs and basically Tatum at power forward. Is most of those lineups mm-hmm. was in 200 possessions this postseason had was was plus 71, and it wasn't like a plus 71. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't like and they're and they're only shooting like 38 percent from three and giving up 35 percent from three. So it's not one of those like massive like shot luck swings. Like those lineups have been just like stupidly dominant. And so if Golden State can, yeah, it can you know, I guess the way. I think that's that that yes, that exactly. does take that exactly does take it. away yes. an advantage that Boston looked to have. Yeah, or at least it neuters it a little bit. And you know, you can't. I mean, you know this with um, all sorts of lineups. You know, one player just because it's playing really well. Part of the reason it's played that well is because it only has yeah. played two hundred minutes, and so you have to balance that right. But if you play it 
too much, and now it's no longer a curveball to your normal look. <laughs> the, it the it Matt, just changes the, 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 the Matt whole Bonner lot. corollary. Yeah, that and you wrote about yeah. that in your book. I remember. So for for those the who don't Matt know, Bonner like corollary, like, that's exactly it. For for those who don't remember, Matt Bonner was a was a you know an er, like a, an early stretch big who played for the the Spurs. Got about fifteen minutes a night. A darling of plus minus systems, like. And he's like, well, because Greg Popovich is smart and when it's going to be an advantageous situation. So that's why he looks so good, because it's times when the other team is playing a slow big who can't punish him and can't contest him out of the three. And so, you know, these lineups are like, I I think that give Yudoka credit because he's been kind of seen okay this is this is a situation where i can use that lineup and we're not going to get you know we're, we're going to get good stuff and not get beaten up on the other end like i don't think i, I don't think they would have i would have to go back surprised if they played those lineups on the floor yeah i mean the other thing too i mean this is what the pool party lineup for golden state has discovered throughout this playoffs which was such a such a promising, like, oh, is this a new death lineup? But as it turns out, you know, you play certain teams in certain situations, like now you're in a liability and you can't counter off that lineup. You know, that's like, that's your, uh, that's your closer. That if you think of it in baseball terms, like if your closer gets shellacked in a baseball game, like your bullpen's in trouble. But so, you know, that it, it's meant to go last. So it's sure. a lot like that too, I think. And, and when you also, yeah, I mean, you, if you start that lineup too, you're now playing against different personnel at different times with different rest situations, and it doesn't it doesn't have the same effect. And that's why to be able to go from like having to deal with like giant Robert Williams either in the dunker spot or on defense, and then all of a sudden you're now playing a team that can like sort of spread you out to thirty feet. It, to go like that from mid, in in the middle of the game is major sticker shock. Like it takes a while. I think that's what happened to the the Warriors in Game One in a lot of ways. Is uh, you know they're playing a team that's trying to crush them inside the whole game, and then suddenly they the Celtics play that death lineup type, whatever you want to call it. Al Horford's now spreading out and spacing, and they're driving these gaps. It's a very hard thing to adjust to, but there's no adjustment if that's just the lineup you're playing, and that's right. the problem with having Robert Williams hurt. Is uh, you know. You're, if your more traditional lineups are less effective, and you have a guy like Peyton who can maybe mitigate some of the strengths of the small lineup, like you're not getting any advantages. So I don't, I don't want to harp too much on Clay Thompson. Uh, like he's shot poorly. Like it's just you know he he hasn't been um, you know he, he, it's sort of you, you kind of take what you get from him at this point. I want to. How have you thought about what Andrew Wiggins has done so far in this series? I thought that he hasn't been nearly as effective, first of all, as he was against Dallas, where I thought he was kind of the key player in that series, just attacking Luka Doncic. It's a whole lot different to when the weak point is Robert Williams or uh, even like Derek White or Marcus Smart or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I liked his approach a little bit more in this game. I thought he did a good job trying to get to the rim. He missed a couple layups. thought he had a couple really good offensive rebounds. I think that's that's nice. I think they need him to play like this. Um, but I also think that it's not it's not a series where you're going to get as much out of him as you got in, da- in the Dallas series. Um, so I think I think if he can play like this, I think that will be helpful uh, on offense and defensively. This is another, I think, again, like the cascading effect of Peyton is that it sort of makes Wiggins' life a little easier when you're not playing those two big lineups. Uh, that's why I think Peyton is such an important piece where I think in game in game one at times, Wiggins was the only kind of really good defender when Boston went small, and I think that really hurt. So, yeah, I, I think that that's sort of where I'm at with him uh, in that respect. It, It'll be interesting to see, like, how effective will, will Wiggins be if Boston is forced to take Robert Williams off the floor? Because I thought some of his best moments were, you know, when Ro- he's attacking Robert Williams and Robert Williams' mobility is not what it once was. So what happens uh, if 
more of those minutes are Grant Williams or more of those minutes are Derek White. Uh, that could be really important. And, you know, I know you don't want to harp on Clay. I think it's, it, it makes sense. Like, he, he's very – he seems due to have, like, just a game where everything goes in. Uh, so I think that's probably why you're not harping on him. But there is, like, a again, a downstream effect where if Clay is this erratic, it adds more to Wiggins's plate. And I think ideally you don't want to put as much on his plate. And that, that also it, – it does lead to – because I don't think I think it's fair to say he hasn't been great defensively this series, um, and if he continues to shoot poorly and frankly takes some pretty bad shots, like even yeah. you know he he was you know he was uh, he was attempting to shoot his way out of it during garbage time of this game, and I, those don't really count to me. But even during the competitive portion of the games, some pretty mediocre looks. Um, I, you do wonder, given like the trust that Steve Kerr has tended to show in his guys, like that's that's a big call to make, and I I wonder what to bench him. You mean? Yeah, or to, to just him, to, to, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if bench him, but certainly like pull way back on his playing time. Yeah, I think that's a hard sell at this point. Um, I think if you were going to do that, you would have done that. When when Jordan Poole is playing super well at the beginning of the season, and yet Clay is still going right back into the starting lineup in his first game back, like that was the time. Yeah. So I think at this point it's probably too late. I mean, the one thing you could do is you know Clay does take his normal rest time, you know when he takes it. So maybe if that lineup has a really good first stint with Clay out of the game, like maybe down the stretch you play like the well we're going to what was working um, card. But that has to work first. And, I mean, Jordan Poole had a better game, but there's still all sorts of problems that he has in this series that are still unresolved. And you just wonder how much stock do you put in. Like, he, he certainly closed the third quarter, but that's a, there's a little bit of front-running aspect of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, so, folks in the audience, if you've got questions, uh, please uh, raise your hand. We'll get you up on stage. I wanted to... Um, Spend a couple minutes in praise of Kevon Looney, if we can. I think sure. like, he was. I think he was noisier in Game One with the offensive rebounding, especially in the first half. I thought he was pretty. They thought he was pretty good tonight. Again, like very like yeah. defensively, like he's he's been an unsung piece of Golden's uh, of a lot of the best of Golden State's defense all year, and I think he was a huge part of that tonight. Again. Um, you know, you get situations where he ends up switched out on whether it's Smart or Tatum or Brown or whoever or Derek White, and it's like, oh, we got their center on an island, and he's staying with us, and we just took a tough fade away. Um, and, yep, yep. So, um, yeah, it, it, no, he, you know, he's, he's good. He's a good player. Yeah. As our uh, Anthony Slater had a great piece on him during the Dallas series, where like they, where they say like, uh, what was the saying that he had? Um, not on, not on him or something like that. What was the? the I, I, you know, I really should like when I cite an article, I should like actually have it <laughs> open so that I know like what the hell. Uh, it's okay. You're you're, it you're new. You're new to you're new to the athletic. You can't you can't be uh, you can't you can't have everything on a string that way. It's uh, you know. It's it, it's still training camp for you. You didn't get a full training camp. Look, man, it's the playoffs. Like no excuses, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, here, I'm pulling it up now. Uh, wrong guy. That was it. God yeah, it. I'm sorry. Sorry, Slater. Uh, it was a great piece. Um, but yeah, no, I think you're seeing the same thing. And I don't know. I noticed it more in game two. It felt like there were more of those situations where Boston was like, "Ooh, it's Kevon Looney. Let's go at him," and they. Wrong guy. Like, that was, like, the, the theme of the Dallas series, it felt like, was, like, all these times where Dallas tried to attack him. And then, the th- particularly in this third quarter tonight, let's like, I felt like there was James plenty Harden. of Yeah, <laughs> they're like, let's go at him. Um, yeah. I wonder, like, why that happens. I mean, is it – do you think it – how much of it do you think is the players just – having eyes too big for themselves and not realizing who they're going against? Or is there something that the Warriors are doing to kind of almost bait those situations? No, again, I think that, you know, I, was, I said, you know, it's like, oh, we've got, uh, James Harden's a bad defender, and I got him in the post. This is awesome. It's like, well, James Harden's actually a really yeah. tough defender. And it, it, but it's, it's, you just, like, 
you see the macro, not the micro. I think. Oh, I, I'm I'm isolated against the center. This is this is this is easy easy picking. You think it, so? You think it? So you think it's more the other team and less the? the yeah, I mean, I, you, I mean, I think they're willing to put him in that situation more because of it. But they're like that's not like a that's not like a you know a. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 my my uh, my college coach who recently just retired. I, I still remember trying to get you get blind screen. Uh, or something, and you just want need to get someone's attention. It's like help fire sharks, and so it's not like a, it's not like a sh- uh, yeah, <laughs> it's not like a it's, it's not like you know a shark situation when when Kevon Looney gets. I I don't even think that's a term anyone else used. I think it was just something he said one day in practice, but it stuck with me sharks. for twenty five years. Yeah, sharks. Um, wow. Speaking of, uh, uh, not speaking of, there's no segue there. Uh, Charlie, you've been waiting very patiently while wax historical. Um, I love a, I love a nice historical wax. I was enjoying it. Um, <laughs> hey, I was I'm calling in quickly with a uh, question slash praise of Milwaukee native Kevon Looney, and then I have a regional question for you, Seth. But can you guys remember uh, a player's hands improving? To the degree, like, it, I used to be nervous when he got the ball, and I, I don't know if he was – it just seems like his hands and his sort of feel for the game. I know Marcus Thompson had that article recently about working with the Warriors coach from Serbia on box out. But, like, he, he just seems like – I don't – hands seem like an innate – you know what I mean? So Yeah. There's, so there's um... – there's kind of t- there's 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 some some players have bad hands because they're not coordinated. Some players have bad hands because they have small hands, and some players have start with bad hands because like they they aren't strong enough yet. And okay. I think that Looney came into the league pretty 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 wiry, and I think he's probably gotten a lot stronger. And I think that's that's contributed to him having you know the same thing that lets him like wedge himself in and get offensive rebounds. Has probably helped him, you know, be more secure with the ball. Interesting. Okay, didn't that have, makes sense. Did, didn't he have a shoulder issue like his first year? Like, didn't he yeah, enter the he, league and there was like a major shoulder issue? I think he. Had, I think he might have had issues with both shoulders. Come to think of it. Yeah, and hips as well as if I remember. But just, yeah, just joints, just just important joints is all. Yeah, <laughs> that speaks. Right. That speaks to like a core body issue, you know, where you if you get the core muscles to be a lot better, everything else sort of improves alongside it. So to Seth's point, like, yeah, like maybe it's just, I mean, the thing that's striking to me is that he's like dunking the ball more. This yeah. He looks season. like a different offensive player. Yeah. than our, but yeah, of course. Yeah. I was focusing on the hands and you got more holistic. That makes sense. Um, second question. Seth, <laughs> um, so watching of course, Looney pool doing his thing. Um, Juan Toscano Anderson went to Marquette. Hauser comes in the game and hits a three. You're noticing a lot of Wisconsin dudes, a lot of Milwaukee and Marquette and local connections. Um, I'm curious, like off season wise, where are the best runs? Whether it's dudes coming home who live here, Bucks over in town, like you know, what, what are the best like you know pro semi pro runs in 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 Wisconsin? Uh, I. I my I would strongly suspect the men's gym at UCLA. Okay. See, I found, <laughs> like, okay. Um, I was wondering. Yeah. yeah. No, like there's you know there's, <laughs> there's, <laughs> I, I I I don't it's think there's UCLA UCLA and Milwaukee. See, I was like, is there yeah. A, is, yeah is there a secret UCLA near the Mars? No, 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 no. No, I think I, I think I think those those, those played in Milwaukee is 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 what okay. I think. I. Boy, I didn't realize gerrymandering was yeah, that right. bad in Wisconsin. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other show, and we can go there, but let's not. There's other networks for that. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. All right, appreciate it, guys. Right. Thanks a lot. Um, I'm probably going to butcher this name, so apologies in advance. Uh, Daniil? If you want to hit the Hi, mute button. Yeah, can, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's spelled weird, but just pronounced Daniel. Okay, uh, sure. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so, so, something I'm kind of curious about your guys' thoughts is like some of the B elites minutes. Like, obviously, I don't think he was particularly good on there, especially when 
they were running actions at him and they had to make him rotate or defend quicker guards. But when Tatum went one-on-one against him, I actually didn't hate some of those minutes. It feels like Tatum usually, like, on the first move, was able to beat him. But because he's kind of slow and methodical, Felix is able to kind of catch up to him when he tries to the rim and contest well enough because of his size. I kind of felt like if Tatum maybe rose up after that first move to hit the mid-ranger, it would have been more successful. But some of the, like, the one-on-one stuff, especially against Tatum, I thought he was pretty successful. And I wanted to get some of you guys' thoughts on why that was, maybe. Um, I think I'll... I'll I, yeah. I got a quick answer, and then I'll let you go. I think um, I think it was Jeff Van Gundy on the broadcast uh, made a point, which is basically in those situations, if you can keep Tatum from getting to his, like, left hand, left, hand, left you know, step to his left, pull up three, I think you're generally in, in have done pretty okay when he isos. Um in part because he's not a particularly good finisher at the rim in those situations. So basically, if you get him to do anything else but shoot a step back three to his left or drive, draw, and kick, I think you've you've done well. What do you, what do you yeah, think? I thought, yeah, I thought that was a, a really good observation by Jeff on the broadcast. You know, it, it is interesting that there for a lot of these players and – He's one, and Harden was probably the first one of this. And, you know, you're trying to prevent them from shooting their setback, you know, because that's some more of the rhythm shot for them. And you almost want them to drive. And there's a bigger interesting story there going on that we don't have much as much time for about, you know, it used to be that you'd always want to kind of stop the drive. But now with the way these players move and the rhythms that they play with. But, yeah, no, I think that was it. And, you combine that with, I think we talked about it earlier, there is, like, I think Tatum in particular gets caught in this, like, I'm the superstar, I'm going against a mismatch, I gotta do this really cool stuff, and he forgets the simple play, and in a way, like, sort of, it, the, the Warriors baited him into that a little bit in that second quarter, and then with Bielitsa, of course, the offensive benefits when, in game one, they were terrible when Steph was off the floor. In this game, they survived a lot more, in part because they had Bielitsa spacing the floor more. Instead of who did they play instead? I guess they put Looney with the second unit a lot more in game one. Uh, and they were playing Andre, and they were playing a lot of Andre and Looney or Andre and Draymond. And, yeah. You know, and in this game, those were more Gary Payton and Draymond, uh, Gary Payton the second and Draymond, so that, that was better. I feel like there were some, like, Bielitsa Otto Porter minutes, too. Which is which you know is sort of compounding the benefit you're talking about is getting like basically if those those guys are almost like your two biggest players, I mean they aren't really bigs but they're big enough and in right. situations and they they both space the floor well. Yeah, I, I thought yeah. Kerr did a lot better job. I thought Kerr did a lot better job, especially with stuff off the floor, trying to play only one non-shooting player. Um, to like survive those minutes because with Andre out there really gummed up the offense because it was all like passing up layups after passing up layups. So, the, yeah, there were <laughs> the, 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 actually the, the, here's something I want to ask you about, Mike, and thank you, thank you for the question, Daniel. Daniel, sure, got thank it. you. Got it after got it got the second time. Um, <laughs> the um, there, there seemed to be for whatever reason Boston was not able to. Um, just leave Draymond alone quite the same way this game that they were in game one. What do you, what do you mean by leave him alone? Well, just, just sort like of the, there it. was just the, I mean, maybe, maybe it was the, like Robert Williams being less effective or whatever, but there were just a lot of situations in game one where it seemed like Golden State would run an action and the release would be kick out to a wide open Draymond who'd dribble right down towards the basket and there'd be two guys waiting for him. And they wouldn't really get anything out of it. I, I, I have a hard time. There was he threw up the like one duck from three, but other than that, it didn't even seem like the ball was finding him, like you know, spaced out with nobody caring about him on the perimeter nearly as many times in game two. Yeah, you know, I, I need to watch and figure out what was going on there because I think that's an interesting observation. I didn't really think about it until you brought it up, but you know, now that you mention it, uh, I never saw it. I wonder if part of that was because again, like the impact of playing him with Peyton more where Peyton's in just a different spatial position on an offensive possession than Andre is, or than Looney is, you know, Peyton is mostly playing in the corners. So, just a different sort of set of where you're guarding him. And 
it gives Draymond maybe more reign at the top of the key. I don't know. I, I need to watch that a little closer. I mean, it, it, I have to look at what exactly were the big man combinations for Golden State. If yeah. you consider, again, Peyton was ba- is basically a big man. who's a guard playing like a big man. You know, there's probably a lot less Draymond with Looney. There was a lot less. There's obviously no Draymond with Andre. There's a lot more Draymond with Peyton. And there was a lot less of, I guess, Looney with, um, there's obviously no Looney with Andre. So I think they really leaned into kind of playing three th- three bigs most of the time, except for on the second unit where they play Porter Bielitsa, like you said. So I, I don't know if maybe that had a role in where Draymond was positioned a lot more uh, so that he's sort of not caught in no man's land. But I'd have to watch the film a little bit more. It's an interesting observation. Wonder if we go back and look and we'll just see that he was actually even more like he was the like they I'm I, maybe this is this is from memory so it could be just completely making shit up but it's I like it seemed like maybe they ran more like use Wiggins as a screener more in game one and then that put like kind of Draymond off to the side and if he's off to the side and then Looney's in the yeah. dunker then there's then like the spacing is bad but if he maybe they just used. Draymond as the screener more, and so I think kind of... you know what I think that's it. I think that's actually what it was because is it in game one weren't they trying to target Robert Williams a lot more in high pick and roll? In this game, they sort yeah. of yeah. I think that's a good that's a big part of it for sure. Um, that's a good observation. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we've we've we strangely for a game that was was kind of uh, kind of uh, got out of hand pretty quickly. We've gone almost an hour. Um, Want to. Since we tomorrow and you know talk about player tiers, um, <laughs> which by the way there's there's a number of very in, interesting like not to tease but there's uh, there's some players with some very interesting implications for where they end up. Um, you know, yeah, I wonder series, where RJ Barrett, where, where's RJ Barrett ending up? Yeah, uh, we I mean you know we, he's you know he's <laughs> there's the, there's that there's that cut of tier five which we can discuss, but no, but this is like. <laughs> Like, 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 just thinking off the top of my head, players who, where they end up could vary wide, widely based on how this series plays out. It's like, it's Tatum, it's Clay, it's, it's, at this point, I think, it, like, Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown, Draymond, like, L- Looney, like, there's a number of guys who could, who could, you know, change where they are in, in, in that project over the course of the game. But that's that's something for a month from now rather than now, so let's not let's not focus on that. Yeah. Um before I let you get out of here, what do you expect to see in game three? I I think that um Boston will be much more controlled at trying to get the ball kind of to the middle of the floor, slightly inside the three point line, kind of playing as the old Hubie Brown used to say Old Hubie Brown saying like he is old, but I don't mean like the old yeah. version of Hubie Brown. The old Hubie Brown saying free throw line and down. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, so I would expect some of that uh, just to get those guys in better spots. And the other thing that I mean, I think it's going to be a big deal is that just I think they're going to look at the tape and they're going to be like, how is it possible that Al Horford didn't shoot a three in this game? Like we cannot let that happen again. You know, whether that's how we align the floor with him or just get him to be more aggressive. I wouldn't be surprised if one of the first plays of the game is to get Al Horford a three. Because I think that was, that's a huge, like, that's a huge factor in sort of, I think it's not necessarily like Golden State entered the game saying we're not going to let Al Horford shoot a three, but it's a reflection of how they played the Warriors differently. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that's, that, that is, that that's that's a a benefit a side benefit of of kind of sort of the 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 jumping everything on the perimeter that they did you know from the start of the game. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So to me, like that's the big adjustment is like Boston's not seen that for a game, so I would expect them to kind of know how to deal with that. Maybe they'll take like sort of more steps out when they do that. Maybe the the guy on the ball will be more aggressive trying to attack those. Maybe they'll try to decline those picks some way. But they're going to do much more to try to get the ball kind of free throw line extended in some capacity, whether it's trying to drive that space or whether it's trying to post that space a little bit more effectively. Like, that would be the big adjustment I'd, I'd look for. Um, 
And then I think that will start to take care of some of the defensive adjustments. Like I, I actually don't know if we're going to see a whole lot different in how they play the Warriors defensively because so much of what the Warriors got was like off the Celtics' mistakes. I mean, I think they'll, they'll certainly, certainly if Daniel Tice is in the game, I imagine he'll be up to the level on Steph pick and rolls rather than back. That would, but that but would be a that, good start. Yeah, but other, <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, those, that was like two plays that like for the like. Boston's defense is not what lost them this game. So I agree with you yeah. 100%. Is no there question. very last thing? Um, it's a little harder coming off of a win. Like, oh, we did great. We won. But, you know, there, there are things you could, like, there are things Golden State could do better as well. What, what, what uh, tweaks can you foresee them making to try to, you know, turn the screw a little bit? I mean, I think the number one thing they're going to try to do is figure out how to get Clay Thompson not to shoot four of nineteen or whatever he shot. Um, <laughs> both, you know, both, I, both halves of that, I would think, actually, both the four yeah. and the nineteen. I wonder what they end up doing. It's going to be interesting because I think they they tried to run him off a lot of curls in Boston, really force him inside the three point line on a lot of those. I wonder if maybe they're going to try to get him more shots from further away and so maybe that opens up space to drive those closeouts a little bit better um i mean i think they probably should get him less shots obviously yeah. um and, but in the, in the post those, never yeah no more of that stuff um i mean that wasn't that was me, like, that wasn't good offense before his injuries and it's certainly <laughs> no better now no it was a nice homage to do it in front of mark jackson though i, I think that was nice um but i mean even like even as well as i play like pool and clay really didn't have good games again like i think that's the key they got to figure out a way to get those guys more shots better and i i don't know exactly what that is i did have to look back on it but you know they they're not winning another game in the series if those guys are that bad again i wonder if they like they you mentioned that like they seemed like a little bit of a slog. I wonder if tempo, offensive tempo, is something that that I would, you know, and that I don't know if that means like Steph headmanning the ball more or or what, but the but I just them playing with a little more, a little more pace, like pace is the wrong word, but just like really getting into stuff fast. Yeah, half court tempo really. Yeah, um, is yeah. what you're talking about. You know, because obviously they're running. But see, that, that's the, the interesting thing about this series is that, you know, the 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 Warriors ran a lot more pick and roll with Steph in this game. They were much more intentional about just sort of centralizing the ball in his hands. The the uh, the effect of that is that Clay and Poole don't play as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how Steve Kerr manages that. You know where. Kick and roll with Steph is probably your best bet to get a lot of buckets in this series. Your best advantage because of the way Boston switches all that off ball stuff and closes space. But you don't want to do it so much that you take Pool and Clay out of the game. That's going to be an interesting balancing act, I think, for for Kerr. Also, because if you have if you're putting the ball less in Steph's hands, you're opening yourself up to Boston's kind of holding, clutching, and grabbing, and just all that stuff that they do off the ball uh, and. That makes everybody ineffective. So it's going to be an interesting, like existentially, it's kind of an interesting question for Kerr. Where you know, how much do we lean into Warriors ball versus get, put the ball in Steph's hands? Like that's going to be an interesting balance to track throughout the rest of the series. Sure. Well, Mike, thanks a lot for Mike Prater. Thanks for coming on. Um, I, before I let you, last thing before I let you go, uh, I, 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 no, <laughs> seriously, like, holy shit, man. I, no, I, no, no, I, this, this, this is for you. I'm, this is, this is for you. I, no, uh, I know, I know. I'm, I'm yeah. messing with you. I just yeah. think it's funny. It's like, yeah, oh, I, 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 I almost forgot. Well, I almost forgotten that I saw your avatar. Um, you got a book coming out. Uh, I do. Tell people, yes. Tell people what it's about and where they can find it. Yeah. It's, uh, called, it's about the three point era and sort of how it has changed. Not necessarily, the fact that we're shooting more threes, but it's just changed, which we are, but it's about how it's changed just all the other stuff that's happening in the game, you know, what it's meant for kind of redefining half-court offense versus full-court offense, uh, what it's mean for redefining pick-and-roll defense, what it's mean for redefining the pick-and-roll, what it's mean for de- redefining uh, shooting form and passing vision and all this stuff. You know, the, the idea is like kind of how the very fabric of the game has been totally changed by 
it's spreading out and you know your book was a great inspiration you were very helpful throughout the book writing process uh i'm sure we'll be in touch some more so if you like seth's book i think it's a really good companion less about the analytics about it but more about sort of the gameplay they're really good kind of pair you pair them up together i think it's really a really cool thing it's out november 1st but you can pre-order it now on amazon on all bookshop.org and all your other cool stuff and i'm really excited about you know i've been putting the finishing touches in on some kind of cool little spatial graphics that uh i'm really excited to unveil in there uh so yeah should be a lot of fun should be a really good read for everybody who's kind of curious about if you're one of those people who's like, oh, I don't like the way the game is played now, or they shoot too many threes, or Seth and I, you and I, our favorite criticism, everybody plays the same way, this book will be for you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and pre-orders really help authors, especially first-time authors, so I'd encourage people to do that. Uh, Mike, thanks a lot for joining me. I am back on whenever we're playing game game. Like, I, I don't even know what day it is. Whatever Wednesday. day we play. On Wednesday, Wednesday when we Wednesday. play Game 3, I'll be back uh, shortly post-game there with uh, Raheem Palmer of Now of the Ringer. Uh, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to join, and we're gonna, we'll chop it up and break that game down the same way. Thanks for uh, listening. Thanks to, thanks to folks who had questions asked, and we will what, talk to wait, you. Sorry, one time. more thing, Seth. Oh, no, one more. Okay, yeah, sorry. <laughs> All right, well, thanks. thanks for, oh. I was just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Everyone have a good night, and I'll talk to you all on Wednesday. Thanks a lot. Good night, guys. Thanks for having me.